The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Second Timothy chapter 3, and uh, we're going to start here in just a few minutes in verse number 12. Our study brings us back to this third chapter this evening in this second letter that Paul wrote to Timothy in which uh, the apostle here is teaching the value of God's word in the Christian life. And this is really one part of the study that we've had for living for Jesus that I'm just content to camp on and stay right here because the scriptures are their own testimony as to the superior worth the value that they have for us as God's people. I mean, if you're ever going to know anything about the faith and how to live the faith, you have to know God's Word. And I don't think it could be any more concisely stated than what Paul says here in verses 16 and 17 of the chapter. Uh, there are many reasons why that the Bible is such a great book, and we noticed really just a few of them in the passage that we're going to read tonight. So if you'll look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number or three, rather, in verse number 12, uh, the apostle says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer, shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Now I want you to look at the first of the chapter here, verse number 1, to catch the context of why that Paul needs to make, or did make, such incredible statements at the end of this chapter. He says in verse number 1, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. And so the problem here is perilous times. In the last days, he said, perilous times will come. And those days are here, folks. Uh, the, these days are characterized by people that are egomaniacs, that are covetous, they're boasters, people that blaspheme God, people that are prideful. And verse number 3 says something very interesting. It says they were with, are without natural affection. And without natural affection, I think that's, that's an interesting phrase because although we are very much strongly opposed to the homosexual agenda, uh, this phrase does not refer to them. Some people think that's what this is talking about. It doesn't refer to them, uh, not that we don't have plenty of other evidences in the Word of God about that very immoral lifestyle, but this actually refers to the abnormal abandonment of love within the family. It means that families are, are not going to be as tightly knit together as they have been. And it means that uh, the family relationships can be easily broken. It means that parents are not going to regard or love their children like they used to, like, like we're uh, taught to in the Word of God. It means that children are not going to love their parents and have respect for them as they should. And many Roman households were actually like this. Uh, there was a cold insensitivity within many of the families and... 
we, I can't help but think that we see here a prediction of life right here in the time that we're living in right now. Uh, there, are, there are babies that are aborted by the millions just because they're inconvenient. Uh, and that's certainly unnatural, isn't it? For a mother to want to kill her child. Is that, is that not an unnatural thing? Romans chapter 1 gives some uh, similar descriptions and it says that people have suppressed the truth or they have suppressed their innate God-given morality. Things are changed. Things are upside down. It's natural to love a person's offspring, not to kill them. And yet, what do we say? Well, the reason that that's done is because, oh, the mother has the right over her own body. It's her body and she should be able to decide what she wants to do. Well, I want you to look at verse number 2 because I think this describes that condition perfectly. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. And that's what causes these horrible crimes like uh, abortion and abandonment of children. It's why we have a divorce rate that's skyrocketing. It's easy to get a divorce. Without natural affection means that it's easy to break those family relationships. I don't know how many of you have been following this thing about... Planned Parenthood and seen many of the videos that have come out on that. And I, I, was, I was talking to my daughter Clarissa down in, in San Diego just this week and I didn't know if she'd seen that. So I sent her a link to it. I said, you need to look at this and see what you think. And she said, I don't think I want to look at that, Dad. I'll never be able to get those images out of my mind. It's just a horrible thing. She said, I, I cannot see how people can be so inhuman. But that's what we see. Now we notice that Paul says this is what will happen in the last days. Well, what does he mean by that? This is going to happen in the last days because this kind of thing was happening in the day that Paul lived. And it's been happening ever since that, that Paul wrote this letter. That's gone on for centuries. So what does he mean by the last days? Well, he means the, the age since the time that Christ ascended into heaven and until the time that he comes again. Those are the last days. It's this whole time period that we're living in from the days of the apostle until God's kingdom is established upon the earth. And so we are living in these last days. And I can't tell you how long the last days are going to last, but I will tell you it's probably not a good idea for you to drain your bank account and, and uh, sell your house and to go sit on top of Mount St. Helena and look for the Lord to return. I don't necessarily recommend that you do that. But we're living in those last days. And the last days means that there's not going to be another prophetic event until Christ comes. I mean, that's the next event on God's prophetic calendar. There's nothing else to look forward to at this point except the time that Jesus returns. And so Paul's purpose here is, is to tell Timothy what to expect during these days and how we are to defend our faith against Satan's attacks. Now, for sure, Satan is not going to slow down. Satan is not going to give up. Satan never becomes weary with the fight that he has against us. Verse 13 says that evil men, seducers, will keep getting worse and worse. They're going to keep on lying. They'll continue to persecute. They will always try to pervert the truth. And so Paul says, Timothy, you need to remember the Holy Scriptures, that the Word teaches you how that you can defend yourself against these, how to be saved, how to live and how to maintain your faith in these perilous times. And his defense, and our defense, is only one. And that is the Word of God. It shows us the right way. It corrects our bad habits. It teaches us to do good works that God has ordained us to do. 
And folks, that is essentially the problem that we face and why God has left us with the Bible. We are saved to good works. We have been ordained to good works. And the method to get there is by the diligent study of God's Word. God never promised that that was going to be easy. He didn't say, uh, you, you, you just take it lightly here because uh, you, you'll be just fine. Everything's going to work out really well. No, he, he didn't say that you can understand this by yourself. He didn't say you could live it by yourself. And that's why we have the Holy Spirit to illuminate the truth of God's Word. And that's a great promise that God has not left us without help. Now, a few weeks ago, uh, when Jason and Sheila made their first appearance after six years, uh, we were standing out in the, in the hallway there in the lobby of the church, and we were talking about something, and they, were, and they mentioned to me something that I had said in a sermon six years ago, or more than six years ago, before they left here. And I don't know why we were talking about this particular thing, but it was about this, this verse in 1 Corinthians, which says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape, that ye may, may be able to bear it. And I remember when I was teaching on that verse that there are some people that take that verse and teach a, a theological maxim from it that, that says that God will not put more on you than you can bear. But it's always best to consider the conditions of what uh, those statements or how those statements are made because the truth of the matter is that God always puts more on you than you can bear. Now you understand that everything we're talking about tonight here from the third chapter of, of, of 2 Timothy is far more than you can bear. Everything that Paul has listed that we just read here, this is more than you can bear, and that's why you need a source of strength. And that strength is not you. And so it's best to understand that when Paul gave that verse in 1 Corinthians, he wasn't considering who you are apart from Christ. No, he's talking about having Christ in your life. And so if you want to have a blanket statement there that considers the theology of what Paul is saying, he's saying God does not put more on you than he can bear. I mean, you can't carry this load by yourself. You can't live the Christian life by yourself. That is impossible. And that's why God says, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean, being filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, we, we've learned this in the fundamentals class. In Ephesians 5, it says that we are to be filled with the Spirit. And we learned that that statement is parallel to Colossians 3.16. And there the Apostle Paul said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And so the Holy Spirit fills us with the word, and filling with the Holy Spirit is the same as being saturated with the word of God. So that's what Paul is teaching here in this text. Living for Jesus in the last days is accomplished successfully only through the instrumentation of God's word. And it's not going to be done without effort. There are persecutions, there are afflictions. As he says there in verse number 12, all that live godly will suffer persecution. Now it takes effort, but there aren't any excuses for anyone. Nobody can say, oh, learning the scriptures, that's just too much for me. God has put something on me harder than I can bear. Well, no, no, this is not harder than you can bear because God is with you. As a believer, the Holy Spirit is with you. And, and Jesus said, my strength is sufficient for you. So don't think you'll get any sympathy from me or sympathy from God because you're defeated in your spiritual life through your ignorance. 
We don't have any excuses. And what the Scripture does, it always comes back to itself as the only way that we're going to live for Jesus. It's always going to be true that those who fall prey to the devil and his devices are those who are not living in the Word of God. Defeated people are those who do not stay in the Scriptures. But the help is available. The Bible is called the sword of the Spirit. And it's by the Scriptures that we defeat the strongholds of Satan. Now, as we move along then, the immediate problem of this text is the defense against those who would pervert the Word. And to fight the perversion of the Word, you have to have proper knowledge of the Word. And so we, we, we were in a discussion where we started a couple of weeks ago on the necessity of the Word. That's, that's what we're talking about now, the necessity of the Word. And as I mentioned then, verses 16 and 17 make a very good outline for us. All the points are right there. Uh, why do we need God's Word? Well, doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction. And I said we could use those headings if we want, but those aren't the headings that we're going to use, though we're going to cover all of that. We started with something else that we find in verse number 15, that the Scriptures are necessary for salvation. Paul didn't start that way with Timothy. He needn't start there with him because he was already a saved man and had been saved for a number of years. But Paul reminded Timothy uh, how he came to him in his second missionary journey. This was more than 14 years before the letter was written. And he found this young man, Timothy, who, who had already received a very good foundation in the Scriptures. He was being taught by his mother and by his grandmother. But Timothy wasn't saved yet because... He hadn't seen Jesus Christ yet, or he hadn't been taught about him just yet. And so Paul began to explain how, uh, to him how the Scriptures spoke of Christ. And the Holy Spirit used what Timothy had already learned from the Old Testament Scriptures. And when he taught him about Christ, those things that he read in the Old Testament began to fall into place. And ultimately, it is the Word of God that does make us wise unto salvation. And so I think that Paul did for Timothy what Philip did for the Ethiopian eunuch. Do you remember that story in Acts chapter 8 when it says he opened there, he looked in the Scriptures, and from that same place he taught him about Jesus. And I think that's what Paul did with Timothy. He took that knowledge that he had of the Word of God that had been taught to him uh, through a godly family, and he opened up to him the Scriptures about Jesus and explained that, and Timothy was brought to salvation. Now that's the method that we see used throughout the Bible. In Acts chapter 13, when Paul was preaching in Antioch of a city on the first missionary journey, what did he do? He took them through a journey of Old Testament scriptures through the history of Israel and brought them right up to the time that Jesus was revealed. Peter did the same thing in the Sermon on Pentecost. Stephen did the same before he was put to death, stoned after he'd spoken to the Sanhedrin. And this is what the Scriptures always do. They lead us to Jesus. And though, so that's why we can say they make us wise unto salvation. Now the second thing that we looked at is that the Scriptures are necessary for condemnation. And that, that seems odd to put condemnation right up next to salvation, but that's the only way that we know what salvation is. The Scriptures take us to the law before they ever bring us to grace. Now the law is that forgotten part of gospel presentations but if you know the Bible, then you know that an often used synonym for the Word of God is the law of God. Now the Bible is a saving book. And we don't want to forget, though, that, that God thundered 
from Mount Sinai about transgression of his law and condemnation because of that transgression. You know, I don't think most people really think about the Bible in that way. Where does the Bible show up in most people's lives? Oh, at a wedding. Maybe the preacher will quote a little bit from the Bible. You know, the part about being bone of bone, flesh of flesh, and those kinds of things. Or at a funeral. And we look at John 14 and the great promise that's given there that there are many mansions that are built in heaven and so on. I've used that as a text many, many times in funerals that I preach. And so often people bring out the sweet parts of the Bible and they forget about the parts that have to deal with hell and condemnation. And I think that if people really realize that on their coffee tables lies a book that says, you're going to hell! And it keeps shouting at them, you're going to hell. They take it off the coffee table, they find something else to press the flowers in, and they get rid of the Bible altogether. And that's what's happened in a lot of churches. They've just gotten rid of the bad parts of the Bible, you might say. The parts about condemnation, the part about hell. And so they latch on to something like John 3.16, for God so loved the world. And they say God loves everybody, and they miss the part about condemnation. It's all surrounding that verse. You come down to verse number 36, and it says the wrath of God abides on us. So, in other verses, it's the other verses rather, that make John 3.16 really stand out to be what it is. God loved the world, and it's because the world is condemned, and that's what makes John 3.16 so great. And then one of the major issues that we find there in 2 Timothy 3.13 is the deception of preachers who have taken condemnation out of the Bible. So how do they do it? Just that way. They don't preach on hell, and somehow they think that they're doing people a favor. Well, we move on then to the third reason that the scriptures are necessary. They're necessary for sanctification. Now, sanctify is a sanctification. That's, that's really a great theological word that you need to know. And you're not going to get very far into Bible study until you run into this concept. In fact, before you ever open the Bible, you're going to run into it. You take a look at the spine of your Bible or the front of your Bible. And there it says, Holy Bible. You know, I, I have maybe 40 or 50 Bibles that I own. I don't recall one of them that has simply Bible on it. Because Bible just means book. But this is not just a book. It is a holy book. And, and holy is from the same root word as sanctify. And that means to set apart. This book is different from all other books. It's set apart. And the Bible is what sets us apart. Knowing the Bible sets us apart. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, the root for sanctify is used for several different words in the Scripture. Each of them has something to do with things that are different or things that are hallowed. For instance, you go into the Old Testament and there you see that passage where uh, Moses is standing at the burning bush and God says, take off your shoes for the ground that you're standing on is holy ground. And what God meant was, this ground is different. This is not normal ground. This is sacred ground ground. And he could have just as well said to Moses, take off your shoes because the ground that you're standing on is sanctified ground. This is what makes it different. God makes it different. And that's what God's Word does. It changes what you are. It changes you from what you were to something different. You're set apart to God and so you begin to take on the character of God so that you think differently and you act differently. And those thoughts and actions that you now have are a reflection of God's character. 
Now, when you study the Bible, it will affect you. And you study the Bible seriously, and the Bible will seriously affect you. The other day I was talking to Lino, and he was showing me his Bible. And I looked at his Bible. He'd written more in the Bible than God said. I mean, he'd written more in the Bible than was actually there. I don't mean he was making things up, but he'd taken all kinds of notes. His Bible was just filled with all these notes that he put in there. And uh, I remember Julie telling me, oh, this was years ago, and she would tell me about Lino, and she said, you know, he's different than he used to be. said, he, he hangs around now. He said, before in church, he would just, as soon as the last day, man, he'd just take off. He didn't want to hang around. Now you can't get rid of the guy. I mean, he's there, he's there all the time. He's always got somebody cornered talking to them about the Word of God or questions about the Word of God. Well, you can't seriously study the Bible without being seriously affected by it. It's going to make a change in you. That's what we need to do. Get serious about it. I've told you this story many times. I, I love to tell this story. And it's, it's about that first freshman comp class that I had when I was in college. And I had to turn in a paper. And I, I turned in my first paper. And it came back with a C on it. And I thought it was really a good paper. But that hippie graduate assistant wrote on there that it, it sounds too much like the King James Bible. And so I, I read it again, and sure enough, my thoughts on D.H. Lawrence sounded like 2 Samuel. So, yeah, uh, you read the Bible, it's going to change you. You're going to pick up the language of the Bible. The Bible is going to change your life, it's going to change your thinking, it'll give you a different outlook on life, it, it cleans all the gunk out of your engine. Psalm 119, verse 9 says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? That's a verse about sanctification. Let's turn to Psalm 119 for just a minute, and we're going to read a, a few verses here. And we'll look at what David had to say a, a little bit about the Word. Now, if, uh, if I were to title Psalm 19, I would call it the Ode to the Word. And I'm sure that somebody else has already said that, but that's what I would call it, the Ode to the Word. And I mentioned when I came back from the Shepherds Conference that Mark Dever and his message preached... Uh, used all 176 verses of Psalm 119 as his text. And the theme of that conference was the inerrancy of Scripture. And what he was showing us was how that the Bible has its internal testimony that it is God's Word. Now look at these very familiar Scriptures that speak of the sanctifying power of the Word. Verse 103, How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Did you ever read the Bible and when you're finished reading, you say, well, that sure was a waste of time. You, have you ever done that? Oh, I have. I have. I've sometimes said, well, I didn't get anything out of that. Now, that has a lot to do with where you are at the moment, but actually sometimes... The Word treats us that way. It goes down very hard. We think that we're not getting anything out of it. And when it starts to convict of sin, when it starts to reprove us, as Paul said, when it, when it, when it does that, it starts to choke. It chokes you as it goes down. Sometimes it tastes bad, but it's never a waste of time. There was that time that Nathan came to David with word from the Lord. And David had sinned by committing adultery and then covering up that adultery with murder. How do you think that David felt when Nathan came to him with the word of the Lord and he pinned his ears to the wall with what God said 
his sin and he said thou art the man well I promise you that word did not go down easy with David it was not like honey in his mouth that was a very bitter pill to swallow and you can hold that thought for just a minute if you will I want to read you some uh, another verse here this is from Revelation 10 where John had received a scroll from an angel that contained the Word of God in Revelation 10 John says and I went unto the angel and said unto him give me the little book that is the little scrolls what he's talking about and he said unto me take it and eat it up and it shall make thy belly bitter but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey and I took the little book out of the angels hand and ate it up and it was in my mouth sweet as honey and as soon as I had eaten it my belly was bitter Oh, that scroll was sweet because it was the Word of God, but when he ate it, it became bitter in his belly because in it was contained these horrible judgments of God that we read there in the book of Revelation. Ezekiel experienced the same thing in Ezekiel chapter 3. Oh, the Word of God is sweet and it tastes really good, and then comes that reproof, and then comes that correction then it finds the evil that's lurking on the inside of our hearts. And whenever that happens, folks, it feels like a heart attack that's going to happen. Oh, it feels like bleach is being poured down your gut. It doesn't always feel so good, but it's in the process of cleaning you out. And that's how David felt when Nathan first came to him with the Word of God. So how do we get to the sweet honey of verse 103 in Psalm 119? And how do we get to that honeycomb that it talks about in Psalm chapter 19? How, how do we actually get to that part? Well, I'll tell you how. David was in a different place in his life in Psalm 119 than he was when Nathan came to him in 2 Samuel. In Psalm 119, David had been sanctified by the Word. And that's when he wrote this marvelous ode to the Word of God. And that's because he had been cleaned up and he'd gone back to the Word of God time and time again. And it tasted good like honey. He was living in that sanctified position of being in God's Word and going back to it over and over again to see how to live his life and to be cleansed by the Word of God. You know, here's something I've got to keep saying and, until we actually get this fixed. Why do we have church members that live only minutes from the church and they make no effort to come to a church service? Make no effort to, to come on a Wednesday night where the Word is taught? Is it too much trouble to come over here for an hour to hear the Word of God? Doesn't the Word of God, or isn't the Word of God sweet? What does God have to do to make the Word sweeter to you? Oh, I know what some of you will say. Get rid of you. That might make it sweeter. And, and you know, maybe I am the uh, castor oil coating on the bit of honey. I don't know. Maybe I make the Word bitter in your belly. I don't know. If anything, if I'm like the Apostle Paul, it may be like this. My speech is contemptible. We can agree with that. So if I'm like the Apostle Paul, maybe I'm like him in that area. But know this, know this. I never did anything to make anybody anything. No, nobody is better. You, nobody is better because of me. And I, I know that you agree with me on that. Don't come to church for me. Come because the Word of God is truth. And the truth always makes people better. So if you don't want to know Christ better, then keep limiting your opportunities to know Him. Well, the Word of God, it says, is profitable for doctrine. And doctrine is what we teach. And our doctrine is all about Christ. Well, let's go to that 19th Psalm. Uh, there are a few verses that I'd like for us to look at here before we end tonight. 
Uh, this is the, the shortened version of the Ode to the Word, and we don't have time and can't read 176 verses, so this is a good place to go. Psalm 19 and verse number 7. Psalm 19, verse 7, and you'll recognize this as the basis for a song that we sing that I've mentioned to you, the deacons hate for some reason. That's an inside joke for the deacons. Psalm 19, verse number 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Now let's take those verses and pick out a few descriptions of the word. Now first you'll notice what I said before, that the law is often synonymous with the word of God. And so you see it there in that, in that first phrase, in verse number 7, the law of the Lord. What does it say about it? Well, it says first that it's perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect. Now let me caution you about this. This does not mean that the translation of the word is perfect. I'm not looking for mistakes in the Bible. I just want you to know that this is not talking about whether you can actually find mistakes in the Bible. That's not what this is talking about. It means that the word is truth. It means the same as what Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.17, that it's perfect in the sense of its completeness. That all that God has to say about the faith is right here in this book. All that he has to say is right here. There's nothing lacking here. There's nothing that God has left out. Paul said, this book, the Word of God, can furnish us to all good works. So there's nothing that's missing here. Nothing that you need to know is not here. It's complete. It's perfect. That's what he means. Secondly, the word converts. So we have conversion. It converts the soul. And we don't nearly need to go into that one because we've already talked about salvation. The Word changes you. The Word makes lost sinners into saved, sanctified people of God. The third thing it talks about is the testimony of God's Word. What does it testify of? Well, the Word of God reveals God. It's God's testimony of Himself, and God's testimony is true. Now, who, who, who would you rather believe? What somebody says about God or what God said about God? Who, who would you rather listen to? You know, I, I, I've talked with plenty of people that have their opinions about God, but opinions count for nothing unless it agrees with what God said about God. Well, what does that have to do with sanctification? Well, how are you going to be like God and, unless you know what God is like? Well, all these people that have their opinions about God sh seem strangely unlike God. So we have to look at what God says about God. And the reason that people, the reason we have a Romans 1 problem is that people aren't really reading what God says about God. So we have this bad problem in the world of the reprobate mind. God's Word testifies to His holiness. And reading God's Word is the way that we're sanctified. That's the way we become like Him. Now the fourth thing that the psalm says here is wisdom. The Word of God the Word of God is, is, is wise. It makes the simple wise. And I thought that I would pause for just a minute here and look at the word simple in that scripture. Now, if you go back to 2 Timothy chapter 3 for just a minute, Paul there was 
discussing people that are characteristic of in, uh, those living in the last days. And he says this in verses 6 and 7. He says, For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lust, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And you see that term there where it says silly women? When I read that, I get a picture in my mind of women sitting at a Joyce Meyer crusade. And they're there writing down everything that she says, just busily in their notebooks, getting down every word so they don't miss anything. And I think as I'm looking at that, look at all those silly women that are taking all of those notes, and it doesn't matter how many notes they take and how long they sit there, they're never going to be able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Listen to that junk. But then I realized that Paul failed to mention silly men. And so I look at that same crusade, and I see these sorry, silly men sitting there taking notes from Jezebel too. And I don't understand. But anyway, that, that's, that, that's what's behind here. Uh, the women mentioned in 2 Timothy. It, it's women in Paul's time, or he, he's talking about women in, in his time that were less educated than men, and that's just the way it was. They were less, less educated, so they were very susceptible to being led astray. And in Psalm 19, that's what it's talking about when it says simple. The person that is simple. It's the person who's gullible, the one who doesn't have any idea of the truth, and they're easily led around. And this is why you need the Word of God. You need the Word of God to sanctify you and strengthen you in the knowledge of the truth so that you don't sit around taking notes from Jezebel. And that's how life fits together. You go get a Bible, you get saved, you go to Berean, you listen to preaching, and then you don't end up being a silly man taking notes from the devil's concubine. Understand? Now the fifth thing, the fifth thing that this psalm teaches in this section is Norma Normans. Anybody know who Norma Normans is? Well, Norma Normans means the ruling rule. This is what the psalm is teaching. The statutes of the Lord are right. They lead you in the way that you ought to go. That's what the psalmist is saying. The statutes are right. It's the way you ought to go. It is the ruling rule. Norma Normans means the norming norm. And it's the same thing as saying that God's Word is the authoritative rule. It is the ruling rule. Have you ever heard somebody say, rules are made to be broken? You won't find that in the Word of God. There are a lot of things that people say that certainly aren't in the Word of God. That's one of them. The ruling rule is never to be broken. You can never be sanctified by breaking the norma normans. And God says you have to have holiness or you're never going to see Him. You must be sanctified or you'll never see God. Now the sixth thing that it says here, the Word of God is illuminating. The Word enlightens the understanding. And that's really one of my favorites in, in the whole list here. I'm one of those people that doesn't want to just hear stuff. I want to understand what I'm hearing. Matt and I were talking about this in the office a little while ago. You know, you want to be the kind of person that that uh, you, you want to understand what you're hearing. You want to know better about what you're hearing. And uh, uh, some people come to church and it doesn't matter if they don't understand. You, don't, you come and you listen, you don't understand me. But then you come back the next time to hear me because you just, you just hear some more things that you don't understand. You know, I, I talk with Bob and sometimes I don't understand what Bob's saying. And that's okay because the psalmist is not saying you have to understand Bob. I want to understand the Word of God. 
I want to understand the doctrines in the Word of God because I want to understand Christ better. That's the whole purpose here. Growing in grace and knowledge is all about knowing Jesus better. And that's what the Word of God does. And so I don't understand it when somebody comes and they say, why do you preach so much about all these different doctrines? Why would you spend so much time on Wednesday nights getting down deeper into doctrine? Well, ask the people that actually do come on Wednesday nights. Asking that, that question is like asking, why do you want to know Jesus better? Why, why would you want to know him better? And there are Christians that are asking that stupid question, that dumb question, because they say, well, I'm saved. That's all I need to know. Sometimes I think it'd be good for us to examine that determination a little bit more closely. Am I saying that if you don't come on Wednesday nights, you aren't saved? Well, what if I did? What if that was what I was saying? It sure couldn't hurt your salvation, could it? But here's what I keep hearing from people that, that come to hear doctrine. Eventually, they start getting it. Eventually, things start to fit together. And they begin to understand. And they'll say, well, I didn't understand those things at first, but now that I've got that point, i got that understanding, now everything else seems to fit together really good. Now the Scriptures don't look like such a dead end any longer to me. Now, if you don't, you don't want doctrine, you're, you're forever going to be trying, or trying to put square pegs into round holes. And there are a lot of Baptist churches, I think, that are doing that. So you need the Word of God to sanctify your understanding. I like the way that Proverbs puts this. You know, I always imagine Solomon in um, Proverbs chapter 4 teaching little children. And he's teaching these little kids. And he says in Proverbs 4 verse 5, Get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. And he goes on in verse 7, and he says, Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. Now, this is how I read what Solomon is saying there. He's instructing these children, and he says, Go on, get out of here, you little urchins. Don't come back here until you got wisdom. Get wisdom, get understanding. Wisdom is the principal thing, and don't come back here until you've got it. And I think that's the way Bob reads Proverbs. That's right off on me. Get wisdom, God says. Now, the next word here is sweet. We've already covered that, so we'll just move on, and we'll just get the seventh one here. We'll do the number of completion, and that is the Word of God is rewarding. Verse number 11, Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. What is the reward? Would it surprise you if I said that the reward is sanctification? The reward, according to Solomon, is that you get to keep all your teeth, and that's sort of it. You don't have to go to hell. You get to see God. You get holiness out of this, and the Word of God is the reward that turns your unfruitful works of darkness into the works of righteousness of Jesus Christ. Truly furnished unto all good works. That's what Paul said. You couldn't do that before. You didn't know how to do that before. You had no understanding of that. You didn't know what to do, how to do it. And now... Knowing Jesus Christ and having the Word of God, now you know how to do what's pleasing to God. The hymn writer said, Oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer. And there is no better reward than that, than to be like Jesus. And that's what you'll be through the Word of God, sanctified, holy. That's what Jesus is. So do you need the Word of God? You need it more than anything there is. 
More than anything in this life, you need the Word of God. Well, I have one more point about the necessity of God's Word, but I'm not going to hold you to get that. So we're going to look at that one next week, and then we'll be, be ready to, to get into point number two. So this week, my advice to you is go out and get wisdom. Read the Word of God, and don't come back here until you've done it. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the great blessings that you give us. Thank you for the Word that we're able to look into, and uh, Lord, how it just clears up issues. It makes, it, makes life seem uh, so much worth living when we know you, uh, when we can come to you and talk with you and get the wisdom and understanding that we need. We thank you for your Word. Bless your people, Lord. Help us to do that this week. Go out and just read the Word of God and seek that wisdom that will help us to do all the good works you've ordained us to do. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.